Talk Zone presents Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. Yes, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. This is Joel Radwanski, the big dog. The coach, John Cohn, well, he's doing yard work. He's getting the seed in. He's pulling weeds. He's doing all that stuff around the house. The wife told him it's half past April. You got to get the yard work done before May gets here. So he decided to do it today. So it's just me. It's one and a half guys in a mic. It's Joel Redwanski flying with the producer, David Olson, here on Two Guys in a Mic. And we have plenty to talk about. There was a, a this year man sighting at U.S. Cellular Field, David Olson. I know you're a White Sox fan, and I know that that builds up angst inside of you. You just hear this year, man, and it gets you a little bit fired up. It was uh, a big day in history, too, April 15th. I'm going to go over that. Yeah. Uh, Talk about some more angst involving Derrick Rose. I guess people are out to get him. I haven't actually seen the venom in which he spewed out after the game, complaining about how hard he's getting fouled, but I'm complaining about it, too. Quit following my D. Rose. And playoff hockey. You can't get anything much better than playoff hockey. There's no sport that gets jacked up more, that elevates more in the playoffs, like hockey in the NHL. And, uh, man, just uh, I'm going to have to start off with that. I, I do want to get into a trivia question for baseball that I'm going to get to right after I talk hockey. This is one of my favorite baseball trivia questions. And uh, I, I'm involved in a, a, a site on Facebook, this little group on Facebook, that has just been absolutely phenomenal. We talk baseball on it all the time. Before I get into all the baseball and the whole April 15th day, wow, that, out of any day of the year, I think April 15th has had the most incredible historical events on, events on it, unlike any other day. I'm going to go over just a few later on in the show. April 15th is absolutely unbelievable. And as I went through all of them, the, one of the biggest ones, uh, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated on April 15th. I'm almost positive, yet it didn't even make this list, which obviously was a mistake, or he didn't wasn't killed on April 15th. I'm going to have to have somebody look that up. But Welcome in, everybody. This is Two Guys and a Mic, Joel Redwanski, 888-463-6748. This weekend, yeah, David Olson, you got one? He wasn't, he wasn't assassinated, but he died. I thought he died on the same day he was shot in the back of the head. I will look at that, but he, he was shot, and then I think he died a day later. Oh, is that I, okay? I will have to look at it. Because he was shot up. in the Ford Theater, uh, and then uh, they basically dragged him across the street to, I forget the person's name's house. He was shot the night before and then died the next morning. Okay, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Okay, but he died on April 15th, though. That yes, was when he died. He died on April 15th. Okay, so... There's a lot of stuff on April 15th that I'm going to get to. Obviously, uh, for baseball fans, it's it's a, a celebration of Jackie Robinson, but a lot more than just that happened on that day. Uh, well, this weekend and, and hockey, uh, when we left on Friday, Coach and I were talking about what a heartbreaking loss it was for the for the Chicago Blackhawks, who weren't outplayed or they didn't outplay the Coyotes. But let's face it, it was the the game was up in the air. They tie it with 15 seconds left on a C, uh, on a Seabrook goal end up losing in overtime and basically was on a, a fumbled puck in uh, on a shift change, and that's what basically ends up costing the Hawks game one. Well, I'm watching game two on Saturday night, and 
you know, you're really anxious. And I, I have to admit, I, I've basically watched probably maybe 10 hours of Hawk hockey all regular season. And just like every other diehard sports fan, if you love hockey, you don't miss your team's playoff hockey games because those are just way too intense. Dying through the whole entire game, Hawks are playing poorly. Let's face it, they could not control the puck. I don't know what it was. And then finally somebody said, my buddy Brian just flat out said, they're afraid of getting hit. Coyote, the Coyotes are out hitting them. And I would hate to say the Hawks were playing afraid, but that's the only way I could possibly explain the fact that they would dump and chase and dump and chase. They would come up to a puck and instead of trying to control the puck, they would just smack it and just try to, you know, hit it towards the, the, uh, the Coyotes goal. They weren't trying to control the puck hardly at all during the game. It was extremely frustrating. And then finally, you know, they're down one. And then five seconds to go in the game, uh, Seabrook nails a shot, Taves deflects it in, or Sharp deflects it in. There was, there was, uh, we, we, eventually ends up finding out that it was Sharp that, uh, deflected in. They tie the game. They end up winning in, in overtime. Uh, Brian Bickles, big body in front of the net, getting it done for the Hawks, and they, they tied up 1-1. And, and quite honestly, that was such a huge win in, in game number two. It, it feels like the Hawks won both games, even though it's 1-1 coming back to Chicago. Uh, because if they would have lost that game down 0-2, let's face it, it would have been awfully difficult to win four of the next five games, even if you know uh, uh, three of them are going to be at the United Center. But the amount of momentum that the Hawks have to garner from the fact that the way they tied the game and then won in overtime, absolutely phenomenal. And all the games this week, if, if, you, if, you, if you were able to watch some playoff hockey – the intensity is ratcheted, ratcheted up so high. These games are extremely intense. So the New York-Ottawa game, the ball, all these games, the games so far in New York-Ottawa have been just absolutely ridiculously physical. Flat out some cheap shots are, are, are happening in that series. Watching that game, I, I could not believe they will, you get away with anything in that series. When I was watching the Hawks game, you know, there was a hooking here, maybe a little roughing. You know, a couple of my buddies are watching the game, but they're getting all upset. I'm like, guys, they're not calling anything. If you notice the Blackhawks haven't had anything called against them either, you got to quit reaching or begging for fouls. You're not going to get them. Not in the playoffs. In order to get a penalty in the playoffs, you have to do something really, really stupid. And I got to tell you somebody that did something really, really stupid, uh, 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 defenseman for the Blackhawks that came flying around and, and, uh, was it Jalmerson that headbutted the Mike Smith, the goalie for the Phoenix, the Coyotes? It was, uh, I can't think of his name right now. Um, but it was absolutely stupid play. Mike Smith, the goalie for the, uh, Phoenix Coyotes goes out behind the net and he's playing the puck. And as he's playing it, a defenseman for the Blackhawks who was making all types of plays and, uh, it, it wasn't, uh, Oduya. Or, or Sullivan, I'm trying to think of the, the number was, but he came flying around. Andrew Shaw. Andrew Shaw. Okay. Who was putting the puck on net consistently for the, for, in the first period. He was one of the, he was one of the few Blackhawks putting the puck on net and you can't score unless you're shooting. It's funny in basketball, people who shoot too much are chuckers and they're bad for the team. You can't shoot too much in hockey. If you're putting the puck on net, you're doing your job, you know, but he was doing a really good job. Well, as Mike Smith's playing, the puck behind the net, Shaw comes flying around, and if you bump a goalie, you have a te- you're going to get a penalty sometimes. In the playoffs, you might not get it, especially he went to go play it. But if you go head down and drill the guy, he hit him head to head, and it didn't look like it was really intentional. But you've got to be careful around a goalie. You can't go full speed and and end up running to a goalie. Mike Smith 
flops. He got hit pretty hard. Okay. But the way he hit, it looked like Mike Tyson got shot out of a rocket and hit him is what it looked like. All right. It was like, what, really? The whole neck. Oh, somewhere Vlade Divac was smiling and he's a relative. He's, I've, I've told him before. Well, he's laying on the ice legitimately four or five minutes, not moving. The referees, they go, they, in the NHL, they, just like the NBA, and I think this is a really good uh, thing that they're doing, is they go to the video before they kick a guy out for the whole entire game, or, or they go to the video to make sure that if somebody should be out, they kick them out for the game. They go to the video, they look at it, and, and it looks incidental, but like we said, it was a goalie in a protected area, and the guy has his head down. So they give him a, a game misconduct and a five minute major. Obviously, five-minute major, if you get a goal scored against you, you stay out there for the whole entire five minutes. So this is a huge, huge penalty for the Blackhawks. And it's determined, the penalty is determined by how bad the goalie or by the, the the victim is hurt in the instance. That's flat out what it is. If you take a cheap shot on somebody in hockey and the guy gets right back up, you got a two-minute minor. You take a same exact cheap shot on the same guy in hockey, but the guy lays there and he needs stitches and he's out for the game, you're out for the game too. That's, that's the way they do it. It's not a bad rule, I guess. Well, it also encourages flopping. And as the, as the referees are on the, you know, on the telestrator reviewing it, the guy doesn't move. I'm, I'm starting to get a little worried. They got the trainers out there. He's face down on the ice, people, not moving. And I'm like, he's got a concussion. He's awfully bad. Referee comes out. There'll be a game misconduct for Shaw, five minute major. As soon as five minute major and game misconduct comes up, immediately pops to his feet, taps his pads, puts his helmet down. And is ready to play uh, hockey. A miraculous recovery. Less than one second, Dave. He was on his feet. That that was amazing when they were ready to play hockey. And it, it, he was he was all right. It was seconds earlier. I thought the guy I was worried about an opponent. That's how bad he looked hurt. Okay. It was right out of professional wrestling, is what it was. <laughs> Seriously. Oh oh. And then obviously the Hawks give up a goal about a minute and a half in. I'm really worried. And after they gave that goal up, they played different hockey for 20, 25 minutes after that. They didn't score after that, but it was 3-2 until uh, the the miraculous goal with 5.5 left, and uh, and the Hawks end up tying it. But uh, if you're a Blackhawk guy, obviously you should feel pretty happy. It's 1-1. You could have been down 0-2 very easily. You could be up to nothing extremely easily. But if you if if it's easier to play for them when they're a little bit mad, a little bit PO'd, First of all, I'm going to tell you this again. The, the Coyotes out-hit you and out-hustled you, and you were lucky to get a win in the second game. And number two, just for the simple fact, the guy made sure that Shaw got a misconduct. you got to pepper this goalie. You can't let a guy get away with laying down on the ice, acting dead, and then all of a sudden getting one of your most important players out of the game at that point. So Blackhawks, you owe one. Not tonight, but Tuesday. they got two days in between. I don't know what it's it's messed up how they're doing the schedule because uh you would think they'd want the Hawks on the Friday Sundays but they're putting them on Thursday Saturday so uh, I don't know you would think the Blackhawks versus the Coyotes be one of the the bigger uh, draws on television but I guess not they're going New York Ottawa so eight 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 four six three sixty seven forty eight uh going to turn to baseball I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the trivia question out here I just want anybody to call start naming these people this is I love this trivia question uh, one of my buddies uh, asked me this. Uh, when, as a matter of fact, the guy who asked me this question, uh, is the agent for Tony Scheffler, the tight end for the Detroit Lions. Okay. Well, Scheffler fired him, by the way, just to let you know. So he's no, he, well, he was the agent of him at the time. Uh, a great, great baseball uh, trivia question. We were watching a Reds game at this time and I was able to get this by the end of the inning. 
This is a tough one, though. In Major League Baseball, every single position has had a back-to-back, a consecutive MVP in the league. Consecutive. So they were uh, a first baseman who won MVP in 93 and 94. Okay. Every position has at least one. Some are multiple, like uh, center field has more than one and first base has more than two. Can you name the players that have won consecutive MVPs at every single position in uh, in baseball? And like I said, the center field and first base has more than one. Just uh, throwing that out there for the diehard baseball fans. It's pretty cool because I'm involved in this group called The Dugout on uh on Facebook, and we start asking trivia questions. It's pretty funny. As people ask them, and I'll I'll answer them immediately, and then I kind of get like the people out there like they like they try to correct me or whatever. It kind of cracks me up a little bit. Uh, but eight 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 four six three sixty seven forty eight. To me, that's one of the great trivia questions. If you just start naming players, it's funny. Some of the greatest players of all time didn't do it, you know. And then you hear some of the positions, you're like, really? That guy won back to back MVP. So definitely a, a tough question. Some of them are extremely obvious. And, uh, they should be, uh, you should get those immediately. Uh, so now going to baseball. Now for the people that listen a lot to the show, you do realize that I have, uh, an alter ego. I, uh, I walk around the streets of Chicago in blue tights and a red cape, red cape with a high thread count. I want to remind people that consistently. I, I would not go out in a cape that was not of high quality. And, uh, I call myself this year, man. This year, because this is, I want Cubs to, Cub fans to quit accepting lovable losers. I, I, I want them to see progress, and I, I want them to believe that the Cubs can actually win. So not only do I want them to be a little bit more callous, but actually say, you know what, hey, who cares? We're in a playoff game, and the Dodgers scored first, and we're down 2 nothing. We're still going to root for the Cubs and believe they're going to win, because I always think of game one against the Dodgers in 2008 when the Cubs were down a couple runs, and the place was silent. You could hear the needle drop in the whole entire place. I want to end that. So that's I'm trying to create a fever, a belief in the Chicago Cubs. I also want to have a lot of fun. So I figured on Friday the 13th, uh, the White Sox were having their opening day, and they were playing the Detroit Tigers. By the way, everybody's All-American, the unbeatable Detroit Tigers. By the way, the White Sox won, uh, what, two of the three games? Did they win the series, David? Oh, because I, I missed – because they won Friday. Did the White Sox win on Saturday? Because I know the Tigers won yesterday. I do think they won Saturday. I Let think me double check that. Okay, okay, but uh, they they're playing the Tigers. Uh, uh, game number one. So I just the best thing about U.S. Cellular Field, and, and and don't take this the wrong way, David. I know you're a White Sox fan, but honestly, the best thing about it is the tailgating. It's uh, that's without doubt. If you compare Wrigley Field and U.S. Cellular Field, there's going to be fans on either side. Ninety nine percent of them are going to like their ballpark more than the other ballpark. But the one thing that nobody can debate is, yes, the neighborhood in Wrigley, uh, in Wrigleyville is a little more conducive to going and partying and having a good time, but the parking lot and the tailgating at U.S. Cellular Field is freaking awesome. And I knew on opening day it was going to be that way, you know, rain or shine. Uh, luckily for uh, the South Siders of uh, uh, Chicago, it was a, a pretty nice day for uh, April 13th. And I decided, yep, yep. And they did win the series. They won Friday and Saturday. Okay, yeah. so the, all right, uh, so the White Sox won the, the first two out of three. They win the series against the, the, the unbeatable Detroit Tigers. Well, I decided to have a little fun. And I put on my red boots, my blue tights, my red cape, my cub outfit, and I got dropped off on 33rd and Princeton. And I walked the streets of the South Side. Now, people from Chicago right now are like, you did what? What? 
You were dressed in blue tights in a Cub outfit walking through the Bridgeport? Seriously, and if you're not from Chicago, you'd be like, oh, okay, that, that's funny. That's walk, walking through some tights in the neighborhood. The hatred towards the Cubs in on the south side in that neighborhood is a little different. It's 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 a fun hatred, I, I will admit. It's it's not as vile as some people think it is. And especially it's a lot more fun if you got a smile on your face. But as I was walking through the neighborhood, there's line after line of car trying to get in the parking lot. And I'm walking past people, and I, I hear people screaming in, in laughter. People are getting out of their cars to run and take pictures of me as I'm walking. And I'm like, this is funny. I dress in the Cub outfit, walk around Wrigleyville. And about one out of every hundred people is like, hey, cool outfit. I'm on the south side and everyone is stopping. When I, it was funny because when I first started walking there, I will admit people are, I'm walking past people and I'm smiling and trying to make eye contact. And as I walk past people, put their head down. They act like they didn't see me. Well, I, I, I was not going to have any of that. So I started screaming, this year is here. 2012 Cubs World Series champs. Well, that started getting people a little bit woke up. People are starting to come down from the, their homes. Now I'm going in a group. So Idris is with me and he's like, he's like, dude, this is unbelievable. I've never seen anything like this. At least 50 people asked for my picture uh, throughout the course of the day. At least 50. Okay. So I finally make my way to the entrance of the parking lot. This is an important note for this. It happens to be the parking lot where old Comiskey used to be that lot. You know, the one that is directly north of US Cellular Field right now. And as I walk in, this is no joke. The best way I can tell you people is the lot is, um, there's, if I, on the right, there's one single line that is all the way up and then the rest of the lot is full. So there's kind of like a big open area and one long line. The first car on that long line, so the first people that I walk past are like, oh my God, they run to me. Okay. They run to me and they're all in socks gear. There's about 15 of them. 14 are laughing and having a good time and making fun of me jovially. And one is being a total, you know what, and you blanky blank f blanker, and basically saying I was a homosexual, all kinds of stuff. And but everybody else is, and some of his friends are like, "Shut up, dude! This guy's freaking hilarious." Take pictures with him. The next car, they're like, "We're waiting. Come on, what are you going to give us sometime?" I'm in the White Sox parking lot, forty thousand people. I've only made it past two cars, and I'm ten minutes in at this point. Well, when I get to the next spot, there are about legitimately hundred, one hundred and fifty people waiting for me. Okay, I st- they're creating a line. I'm taking pictures with people going through a line. Some woman has me hold their baby. I'm holding their baby. And right when I'm holding a baby, somebody yells, he's a effing pedophile. So I'm telling you, it's weird. So like coach and I said, there's going to be 1%, the 1% you had to look out for. We thought it was going to be 90% didn't care. Nine would love it. 1% would be angry. It was 9% didn't care, 90% loved it. People are like, you have so much balls for coming out here. This is awesome. I love it. You know, and they're, and then they're like, oh, by the way, Cubs suck. And they'd walk away, you know, so it was exactly what I wanted. And as I'm walking my way into the crowd, security comes flying up on the, on the golf cart and they're, they're smiling. They're like, yeah, we got him. We got him. They're like, yeah, we noticed you uh, creating a little bit of havoc up there because they were watching. The security watches from the top of U.S. Cellular into the parking lot. It's a pretty good vantage point. They're like, you're causing kind of a commotion out here. I'm like, I'm not causing anything. No, they're like, you're not. The guy's like, you're not. Honestly, uh, it looked a lot worse from far away. They're like, but you can't go any further into the parking lot. I'm like, I live on the corner of 44th and Wallace. I'm walking to my home, sir. And then the guy was like, oh. He didn't know what to say at that point. He's like, uh. Let me call upstairs. Let me call upstairs. So as I call upstairs, 
more people come around. And as and now the guys are starting to figure out that this is not going to be anything bad. And I'm actually a good guy at heart. And I'm not trying to cause really any controversy. I'm trying to get the word out for two guys in a mic. Well, as this goes, the guy's like, you have to go right now. You have to go. They're like, there's a group waiting for you. They're probably going to, they're going to, some people are very angry that you're doing this. I'm like, what, the security? Like, no, the security, it's all Cub fans. <laughs> so they're like, trust us. None of them liked it. It was hilarious because they were, and they're like, almost all security is Cub fans. And they're like, we can't stand anybody that comes here. There's going to be somebody that starts a fight with you. They're like, we guarantee you can't go any further. I'm like, well, I'm not going to start a fight. I have a camera. I, I think I'll be all right. And then the guy, the, he says straight out, he's like, you're endangering yourself. If you take another step, we're, we're considering you trespassing right now because we've warned you that you you could uh, that you could be hurt. So we're going to arrest you if you take another step. And then I asked him, I was like, well, isn't this the state of Illinois' property? And the guy laughed. And he's like, well, we do control it, and you can't use that particular argument for where you're standing right now. And I was like, oh, this is – he's like, the White Sox own this piece of land. So he's like, you might want to get off right now. And then I thought about the idea of me being – and I, was, I asked him, where would I be locked up? They're like, oh, inside the stadium. And, and I would have to imagine uh, opening day, people drinking in the parking lot. You know, they get about 10 arrests a game for a ball game. It's typical for don't don't act. Oh, they t- ten people get arrested at USA. It must be a bunch of thugs going there. Every ballpark has probably about ten people arrested. In Philadelphia, they probably get like forty. I know during Eagles games, it's over a hundred. They have the courtroom in the field. They Lincoln Financial Stadium where the Eagles play. They built a courtroom in the in the stadium, so you could be arrested and tried, released or put in jail on the. You go to an Eagle game and you end up with two to five. You know, so it's unbelievable. So I'm sitting there thinking, if I get arrested, I'm going to be put in a cell in U.S. Cellular Field wearing red boots and blue tights. I was like, I don't think it's a good idea. I got off of the premises right after that, and I walked the other way, and it was pretty good. But the, the issue here is this. I had to walk all the way home in in the red boots and the, the this year man outfit because I had left my stuff in the cab. So I have to walk through Chinatown in red boots. And blue tights. And I swear to you, I, I, I don't think I've had more strange looks. I thought it was crazy at the U.S. Cellular Field. Walking through Chinatown dressed as this year, man, definitely much more interesting than walking through U.S. Cellular Field. So uh, quite a day. And I, I will admit I was uh, I was happily, happily rewarded by how cool the White Sox fans were. I thought I was going to get m- – a lot more like, oh, you're an idiot, get the plank out of here, like angry. And it wasn't. It was a few, a few, and but a lot less than I thought. There was, uh, 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 but then again, I, I only ran into maybe a thousand people in the parking lot. I didn't get deep into it. And I, and maybe when I was totally surrounded, people were like, you know, they would have started throwing bottles and all that. It, it's funny, the stigma, though. When like when I was telling people I did this, they're like, we're surprised you got out of there alive. And my friends were being serious. They really thought I was taking my life into my hands by doing that. Now, David, honestly, you're a dire White Sox fan, and um, you won't play into the stigmas and all that that are that are the, like the the stereotypes of White Sox and Cub fans. There's stereotypes. There's a little bit on both sides, but it's funny is like there's so many drunken White Sox fans, and there's so many like ridiculous idiot Cub fans too that it's funny that there's the opposite stigma. Well, you know? I mean, every if you go into the upper deck at U.S. Cellular, you will see every stereotype about. Sox fans is 100% true. Uh-huh. Okay. Yes. That's that's where you find them in the upper deck. Uh-huh. You know, whereas they're in the bleachers at, at 
at Wrigley. Oh, yeah, like the idiots that don't care if the Cubs are winning. They're yeah. just going there to, to get hammered. Yeah, well, yeah, you know? yeah. And speaking of which, on a tangent, I'm going with a buddy of mine to a Cubs game next month, and I'm, like, kind of fearful because every time we go to a Cubs game, he gets kicked out every single time because we sit out in the bleachers, something happens, and he chucks his beer on the field every he's one of, Oh, he's time. one of those guys that yeah. you – the, the guys yeah. that chuck – I was in the bleachers one day when they started chucking beer. I stood up. And I was MFing every single, I was like, I'm sorry if you have kids here, but I'm so, and I yelled at, I'm, but I gotta say this, all you are blanking losers. And I was like, and I, I, and I they're like, some guy was like, F you. And another guy was like, thank you. Thank you. And there was like, uh, I saw, cause I, I was screaming this and I saw like a woman with her kids being like, kind of like, didn't know how to react to me. And one day, I, I, I'm so glad, because if I would have saw your buddy do it, I, I would have had to say something like, I know I came here with you, but I want to throw you on the field now. Why do you, you're making me look like a freaking idiot. Oh, the guy was safe at second. I'm going to throw my $10 beer on the field. Ugh. When oh, Shane Victorino had the beer poured on him by the guy that wasn't even a Cup fan, that guy wasn't even a Cup fan, and he throws a beer in Shane Victorino's face. And, oh, look at those look at those DB Cup fans throwing beers. In. No, that's some drunken dude from Ohio. Okay, that can't handle his liquor. He's 21. That's his first beer ever. Now all those Cup fans look. Oh, when, I, I, if you go to thisyearman.com, I write a blog, and – I wrote new guidelines for attending Wrigley Field. Please, if you're going to if you're going to Wrigley Field, please read please read these guidelines because that's exactly what I'm afraid of is those the stereotype of the drunken Cub fan who they don't care whatever. Just like so, I was my friends are worried about the idiot White Sox fans, the guys that start fight for no the guys like William Legui who go on the field and beat up Tom Gamboa. So all of a sudden. You know, there's a couple beating, there's a couple fights outside U.S. Cellular Field. All of a sudden, all the White Sox fans are thugs. But I, I honestly, folks, my friends were literally concerned for my safety. And coach was a little bit too. I, I can't believe you did that. I don't understand. Honestly, do you think it was that dangerous? Do you think what I did was that crazy, David? Yeah, I do actually. Because we talked about it after the show, and I'm like, he's he's gonna get get the shit kicked out of him. You know, I seriously. <laughs> And, and, you know, it sounds like security thought that, too. They did. They did. No, they did. They they told me straight up, they're like, we're 100% convinced that there's going to, a fight will start if you walk any further into the parking lot. And I'm like, I'm like, look at me. I was like, is anybody here, is there, there's any threats going on here? Does anybody feel threatened? And the guy's like, no. He's like, you're fine. You're fine. He's like, someone's going to get mad, though. Someone's going to. And I'm like, I won't retaliate. I'll turn another cheek. I said, I said something like that. They started laughing at that point. Uh, uh, whatever. I, I was really hoping I could have gone further in because the footage we were getting up to that point was just spectacular. But, uh, but we, we didn't run into real quotable people, but we were running into people that were just excited to see it. So I, I leave and I start walking back through Bridgeport and I walk down a different street. I walk past a bar called First Base. If you ever try to find parking it, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm like, uh oh, uh oh. There's, there's like 15 guys outside all in White Sox jerseys smoking and they look like the type that used to go to Jimbo's and beat up mailmen and stuff. You know, like they look, they look like that type and I'm being stereotypical now. Right. So I walk up and right when I get to like, Oh my God, look at this guy. Look at him. You know, like some guy comes up and starts hugging me and he's like, I ain't going to mess with you. You're brave enough to wear this here. He's like, they pull me in. Next thing I know, I'm like doing shots and drinking with all these people in red boots, blue tights in a white socks bar. And like there was one Cub fan there, and that that guy. Oh no, were you wearing were you wearing the mask or were you were no, just no, wearing the no. hat? Just I was just wearing the hat. I've, I'm my girlfriend wants me to wear the mask because she's embarrassed. Okay, she's extremely embarrassed, and I don't blame her. Well, so I think I think you just need to get like the like the diamond mask like like Robin wears. 
You know, so it's just got the line on the face. You, you, you think so? I think it'll work. You don't need to completely cover your face. It's just, uh, I kind of like the fact that Superman doesn't have the mask on. Do you know what I mean? So I, I kind of am going, I was going towards that, and I'm not ashamed. I, I figured the, it works a lot better when I walk around. It wasn't, when I first put it on, I was a little embarrassed walking around in tights in Wrigleyville. It, it, coach, you know, noticed. He's like, you don't look too comfortable. And people weren't liking it. And then finally I was like, you know what, what? I look like an idiot. Who cares? And then after that, I, when I felt comfortable in it, it started working. So, uh, this year, man, at facebook.com, check it out. Uh, this year, man.com. If you go and, uh, you can check out my blog. It's some pretty funny stuff. Uh, we're going to be posting more videos and definitely videos of this, the incidents that happened at, at, uh, US Cellular Field should be up any day this week. Uh, the guy that's filming is extremely busy for me. But he he honestly is like, we need to get investors because I, I wrote up a mockumentary. It involves every single myth about the Chicago Cubs. It involves me looking to find a procuring a goat, executing it at home plate. I mean, it's funny stuff, David. It's some funny stuff. If you name anything that happened in Cubs history, it, it is brought into this. If we can get somebody to just drop 50 grand, we'll make a couple million off of this. I mean, it's going to be that simple for us to make. The only thing we need to do is contact a Ricketts family so we can at least shoot one scene of me chasing a goat around the infield. Do you think they would allow that? We're not actually going to kill the goat. I, I don't, I'm going to try to, but the goat's going to outsmart me is the best way that it happens. Do you know anybody and get me on the field at Wrigley and, and film that at, like at night? You know, do it at, cause we have, we have to do it like two in the morning and then it's going to be, you know, us out there at Wrigley Field and trying to sacrifice a goat. Do you think the Ricketts family will allow it to happen? Do you think they'd have a sense of humor? Because a part of this, by the way, is uh, I'm trying to raise money and awareness for JDRF, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, for uh, Ron Santo. That's the one positive thing I have going. It, you it, use that ties angle, it all together. yeah. You could probably, you could probably. It's it's my diehard love of the Cubs. Yeah. It's a passion for the Cubs, and I'm trying to make, uh, I'm trying to make light of the fact that the reason why they haven't won a World Series in since 1908 is has anything to do with a goat in 1945. It has. Everything to do with the fact that there's been better pitching and fielding and situational hitting around the National League for the last hundred and three years or four years. Let's just face it at that. So, uh, so I just need if anybody has any contact way, to, any way to contact the Ricketts family, uh, please let me know because I have every intention of getting on the Wrigley Field and filming a scene of me chasing a goat. It's it, it all tie together. Otherwise, I'm going to have to do a scene where I actually have a decapitated head of a goat and one of those slingshots and I shoot it on the Wrigley Field. I shouldn't have said that on here because that was actually my plan. It was a real plan of mine to do during a game to try to end the end the curse. You know those massive slingshots I'm talking about? If you if you were in the the alley, okay, right if on Kenmore, right behind Waveland, there's the alley right behind the house that Glen Allen Hill hit the ball on top of. There's a little section that if you had two guys stand right next to that house on that alley, you could shoot. From, hopefully it wouldn't hit the left fielder because that would really that would really suck. But you would shoot it over. You can grab it by the the goat head by the horns. You'd have two of your buddies actually holding that massive slingshot. They hold it like this. The one guy pulls it back by the horns. You have the head in the thing, and you just let it go. And the goat's head shoots out over the buildings. It would fly over Waveland. It would be tumbling. Okay, and ideally, what would happen is it would land like near the left fielder, and that actually you know, impale the left fielder, but the horns would go and bam, you would have a goat's head right in the middle of a ball game stuck in, in left field. And then we'd have to run like hell. I mean, 
No, actually, not run like hell. Do it just the way the guys who killed JFK did. Just walk away. Just walk away like you did nothing. Like nothing happened. I've said it on air, so I don't think I can actually pull this plan out. But at a time when I was even more stupid than I am right now, okay, that was actually a plan I was trying to put together with two other people. One of those people, by the way, I didn't know at the time was a real, real criminal, and it would have been really bad to give it a social. Because if I would have did this with him, who knows? I could have been, I would have been in jail right now, and I definitely wouldn't want to be wearing red cape and blue tights if that had happened to me. But uh, so my love of the Cubs is deeply ingrained that I've actually tried to figure out a way to end the curse, and it, it, it involves killing a goat. I'm not going to do it anymore. Goat didn't have anything to do with it. Let's just get some good pitching and some good situational hitting. Eight eight eight. 463-6748. Threw a trivia question out there for anybody joining us right now. And uh, quite simply, it goes like this. In baseball, every single position has had at least one player, at least one player, win a back-to-back MVP at every single position. So all I got to do is call call up, name a position, and name a player that uh, was actually won a back-to-back MVP. And like I said, uh, center field and first base has multiple ones. But other than that, there's uh, back-to-back on all of them. There's a Chicago Cub on the list. There's a Chicago White Sox player on the list. There's uh, uh, some Giants, Reds, you name it. They're, they're on. There's a, a Yankee on the list, two Yankees on the list. And one of them is not Babe Ruth, just throwing it out there. You'd be surprised. The, the one of the Yankees is going to be – I think both of them are very difficult unless you're a, a, a true baseball geekazoid. Uh one of them's easy. Well, what's what's the one that you got? Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle never won a back-to-back MVP award. He won a bunch of them, but never won them consecutively. What I thought, I thought Maris won them back-to-back, uh-huh. and Mantle won them back-to-back. Yeah, yeah Mantle didn't win uh, back-to-back ones. Oh, okay. But okay. Maris, Roger Maris, is the right fielder on the list. David Olson. So you, you got one of them. That's uh, and the White Sox one. Do you want to give that? I already gave the oh, years that's, that's, earlier. It's Frank Thomas. It's easy. Ninety-three, ninety-four. And uh, quite frankly, uh, I think I'm a, a baseball historian enough that I will rightfully call in the 2000 American League MVP also, even though uh, Jason Jambi won that. Jason Jambi was a 2000. Uh, yeah, with, with a little assistance. Yeah, uh, you look at the, the stats of the guys in the year 2000. I, I'm a I'm a Stratomatic fan. It's unbelievable when you look at, like, uh, Preston Wilson in the year 2000 drove in 121 runs. It's, you know, it, it's just unbelievable. Everybody's on-base percentage was over four, uh, 400 that year. Uh, so just throwing out there, anybody who knows that uh, any, some of those questions, come give me a call, 888-463-6748. Uh, so big weekend in baseball around this town. Uh, obviously, the White Sox won the two out of three against the Tigers and uh, winning their first series at home. And, you know, there have been a lot of poor predictions for the Chicago White Sox this year, let's face it. Uh, they've got an older team and a lot of guys that seem to be you know, on the downhill. But if you got a bad team, though, I shouldn't say if you have a bad team, if you have uh, poor projections, one of the important things is starting off a season hot. You know, if you're predicted to be bad like the Cubs and all of a sudden you're buried at, you know, like three and six, all of a sudden you start believing those predictions. So, you know, you got to get that turned around real quick. Well, the White Sox have started out and they've played some, some pretty good baseball so far. They've gotten some really good pitching uh, as far as I'm concerned, some real good pitching. And, uh, in game one against the White Sox, oh my goodness, that, I mean, the game one against the Tigers, they looked awfully good. Now the Cubs, on the other hand, this is the worst lineup in my whole entire life as a Chicago Cub fan. And, uh, 
in, you know, I, I, I got to be honest with you. I'm a, a Cub historian. I really don't know the lineups in the mid and early 50s before Ernie Banks got there as a, as a Chicago Cub. But they were really bad back then. And I would have to say this probably been 50 years, at least 50 years or 60 years since the Cubs have had a lineup this bad. Cause not, I've been a diehard Cub fan since 1977. No lineup is as bad as this one. Maybe statistically you can look at it and be like, wait, the 1978 lineup is going to hit less home runs and score less runs. Well, in 1978, the, the average runs per game for a team in the, in the major leagues was about four and now it's five. So the same stats back then aren't conducive. Their lineup right now is just scary bad. Now, Brian Lahair and Ian Stewart and Alfonso Soriano and Marlon Burt. Yeah, yeah, they could hit. They could. Maybe they could hit. And But to expect that, I, I'm really scared as a Chicago Cub fan that uh I got to be honest, their pitching, their starting pitching has been awesome. And I've never really thought they, they can contend this year unless the Central is just so bad that maybe they can luck out a, a, a way to go like 84 and 78 and trip their way into the playoffs. I mean, heck, the, the, the Cardinals, I, I believe, were 82 and 79 and won the division, uh, in 2006. I mean, they were bad that year and they ended up winning the World Series. I am not thinking the Cubs are going to have a year like that. I just didn't, don't want them to be abysmal. And you look at their lineup. If Brian LaHare doesn't hit like 290 with 35 home runs, uh, and Ian Stewart hit like 280 with with 25 home runs. This team is not going to average four runs a game throughout the course of a season because Starlin Castro is not going to drive in 100 runs. I'm not knocking the kid. The kid is a very good offensive player. He should be batting first or second. In the Cubs lineup, he has to bat third, even though he's going to hit 10 home runs this season. And I hope they don't ruin the kid by trying to make him hit for power. Let him be a guy that hits 325 with 10 home runs and steals 35 bases every year. The Cubs need a guy like that, okay? So don't try to change him. Everybody else in that, Giovanni Soto, I, I don't expect anything out of him. I, I am worried the Cubs will not average four runs a game. And if you don't average four runs a game, it's going to be hard to win uh, 73 games, you know, and, and not lose 90. And that's what I'm afraid. The Cubs are going to lose 90 games, and they're going to actually have one of the better starting uh, starting rotations than they've had in a, in a long time because uh, Jeff Samarja, I know it's two games, and uh game number two, he got hit pretty hard against the uh, against the Cardinals. In game number one, he was throwing strikes and looking awfully good. Ryan Dempster and Matt Garza look like extremely good top end of the rotation starters, but I, I don't think it's going to matter at all with as bad as the lineup as the Chicago Cubs have. So hopefully things can get turned around. So uh, now it's April sixteenth, and you know, so Coach has to do his his yard work. And uh, April fifteenth happens to be in a real important day. In, in my life, and it's just amazing though how many other historical things happened on April 15th. You know, we mentioned, you know, I always thought Abraham Lincoln died on that day. They don't even have it on this list that I'm at. He was shot on the 14th, dies on the 15th. But, you know, April 15th is tax day. So it's kind of that day always sticks out in every American's head. Oh, April 15th, it's tax day. Well, I, I just started dating a young lady a couple months ago. Her birthday is April 15th. And I just thought, you know, oh, wow, April 15th, our tax day. And it just sticks out in my head because uh, on 2006, uh, April 15th, uh, my best friend, Sonny New Joe's father, passed away. And, you know, whenever one of your friend's dads pass away or loved ones, you know, it, 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 it'll affect you. You feel bad about it. But honestly, this man was one of the most important non-family members I've ever really had. The guy was 
absolutely phenomenal. Every year we celebrate his life, they have something called the celebration, a, uh, a celebration of Salvatore Joseph Nuccio II's life, and it's awesome. About a 1,000 people come out every year. They donate stuff for uh, cystic fibrosis uh, and uh, right here, uh, and uh, just an awesome event. And it's not just because the man was a good man and successful. It's because he affected so many people's lives in a positive way. Uh, a quote here. He could read somebody and know if they were having a good day or a bad day. He wasn't your dad, but if you're doing something wrong, he would discipline you. How often does that happen nowadays? Nowadays, if, uh, you know, an adult says, hey, kid, don't do that. The kid runs to the parent and the parent goes and attacks the adult. I mean, you, you know what I mean? It's like, it, you know, the whole it takes a village thing, you know, I'm you know, not the biggest, you know, Hillary Rodham Clinton fan, but she's right. You know, there's nothing wrong with with that. And Mr. Nuccio was that guy where if I, I was drunk and not going home to my house when I was like, you know, in high school, Mr. Nuccio would be like, oh, you know, I'm driving you home, dropping you off at your house. You know what I mean? Like, you know, he did not let you mess up is what the thing is. He was a good guy, a real, real good guy. And he always had all these cool like sayings and stuff. So, um. I know you should be celebrating his life, but it's funny. Everybody, I just think it like tax day. I was like, that's the greatest tax I've ever had to pay was losing Mr. Nuccio and, and all the inspirational stuff that, uh, he, he always gave me. So it's always been a, like a day that I always want to, you know, remember. And also April 15th was the day that Branch Rickey integrated baseball and let Jackie Robinson play the, so April 15th, the day that Jackie Robinson integrates baseball. Uh, in 1947. So April 15th has this like major, major historical stuff. Also on, uh, on April 15th. And by the way, it was cool yesterday to see all the players wearing 42. Obviously the only player that still wears 42 regularly is Mariano Rivera. It's pretty cool. Do you know when he got that jersey, he wanted 58, but he had 58 in spring training. They're like, ah, this, instead of 58, 58 plus 42 is 100 here. We're going to give you 42. We're going to give 58 to somebody else. He's like, okay, whatever. Didn't even think about it. And now the greatest reliever ever in the history of the game, uh, the greatest player ever from Panama, and a total class act, a guy that respects himself, respects its teammates, he respects the game. Mariano Rivera is wearing 42, and I think that's awfully cool. I'm glad it wasn't like, you know, yeah, just some nobody that was wearing 42 is, is the last guy. It's really cool that Mariano Rivera was, is the last one to wear it. And to see everybody around the game wear it, awfully cool. I didn't see the White Sox uniforms yesterday. I was listening to the game on the radio. And, uh, uh, Farmio was saying that they, they wore uniforms from the 50s or the 40s. They were wearing the red and white, uh, uh, Jackie Robbins. Well, the, I guess the 47 jerseys, right? Is that the year that they were wearing, David? I believe so. I okay. believe so. That's cool. And now Jerry Reinsdorf, I'm not a big fan of, but he was a huge fan of the Dodgers and loved Jackie Robinson growing up. And it, baseball was always his, uh, his favorite sports. So I don't know if it was his idea. Hey, you know, let's, let's wear the 47 uniforms when we wear 42, but you know what? That's an awesome idea. And, and hopefully more teams actually do that on, on Jackie Robinson day. I thought that was, uh, I thought that was pretty cool. So, so I start going on April 15th, you know, so it's, it's my girl's birthday. So I was like, Hey, what else happened on April 15th? Do you know that's also the day that the SS Titanic sank? 2.27 in the morning, goes underwater on April 15th. So some, you know, so you get one, Jackie Robinson integrates baseball. Titanic, it goes up and down. Check this out. I started going over, and I just, some of these I find pretty funny. But in 1250 on April 15th, Pope Innocent III refuses Jews of Cordova, Spain, to build a synagogue. You know, it sounds so innocent to me. Pope Innocent III. Really, we had Pope's name Innocent? Okay, and if you're going to be innocent, don't be so uh, 
Don't be so hateful. Not letting Jews build a synagogue back in 1250. That just wasn't right. Now there's years and years a bunch of stuff happening. It wasn't until 1672 that France made the first $5 note in any European country. I found it took a long time before that happened. Now we've been going on and on and on since now. I don't know if you're going to double back to birthdays, but don't forget uh, Leonardo da Vinci was born on April 15th. I had no idea. I was not going to mention that. 1452. And uh, Leonardo da Vinci, without a doubt, one of the greatest minds of all time. Uh, you know, there was a, a two-year period where Leonardo da Vinci went missing, and it's totally unaccounted for. You have to look into this. It's just amazing. He was a real smart guy, made beautiful paintings, and all of a sudden he went missing for two years. And then when he comes back, he starts writing pictures of helicopters, advanced weapons, his uh, all of his paintings – have imagery in them and messages. And I don't care what anybody is. You can say, oh, that's a coincidence. There is an image in the Mona Lisa, in the, in the, what, the Peter, the Peter, or uh, the Peter, uh, what do you call it, painting where he's pointing to the, to the, to the sky. There's images in all of them of alien and ETs. And you can say, oh, you're crazy, Joel, whatever. Leonardo da Vinci drew, if you, you gotta look it up if you think I'm crazy. All of his paintings, there's a, actually, if you look at the Mona Lisa, there is a reference point on where, where she is looking and where a waterfall comes down. And if you actually superimpose the painting and you flip it over and you put it exactly at those two points, the Mona Lisa head is exactly in the shape of an extraterrestrial, a, a gray. You know those, what they say the aliens look like? It's exactly. It's, you can't, you can't change it any other way. When you put the mirror images together, the Mona Lisa, it's a picture of a gray alien. Leonardo da Vinci did this in the 1500s, people, in 1600s. Okay. Also, in another, in the same Mona Lisa painting, when you when you flip it over below the alien head, there's another alien head of a guy in a mask. Like it looks like a human being in a Darth Vader mask. This, I mean, you overlay it; it's perfect. It's a dual image. So he would have to write two of these images on the painting in order to do this. So it's not a coincidence that they line up perfectly on this. And in every one of his paintings after that, the image of the human being in the extra, in the, like the space mask is in every one of his paintings. It's in every one. And it's, and there's reference points to where you have to overlay the painting on every single one of his paintings. So like when people, and he went missing for two years. And when he came back, he knew about flight and helicopters and guns and ray guns and the human body he knew all this stuff i'm not saying he was abducted or anything like that but i find it awfully strange he's putting aliens in all of his paintings and all of a sudden he's talking about the fact that we could fly and do all this other stuff and he was missing for two years and no one knows where he was and he even talked he writes about the his missing time and he basically says he was not on this planet people think i'm crazy you need to look this stuff up the leonardo da vinci over the last like month for me has been like I, I've been studying, so I, I could not believe I don't know his birthday was April fifteenth. So I really appreciate that, David. That's awfully, awfully cool. Did you know this whole aliens uh, theories with uh, Leonardo da Vinci? I had not heard that. That's it's it's recently people are starting to think that he actually was trying to say there's other life in the universe, but he couldn't say it back then because obviously the church paid most of his salary. He's always doing research and paintings for the church, so he's doing paintings of. Uh, there's a painting that he has of Jesus, and in the painting of Jesus, you superimpose it, and he's an alien. Uh, so don't get upset at me when I say this. It's there, people. It really is there. I'm not making this up. 
As a matter of fact, I should probably bring in the paintings for you and have to show this tomorrow. I'll, I'll, I'll have to find some of these so you can I can show you what so we can actually see. Coach, I'm sure wouldn't mind doing this. Do you think? A couple minutes. He'd be like, really? Because whenever I bring up aliens or anything to him, he he gets a little touchy, a little touchy. I've noticed that. So, uh, Also, on April 15th, San Francisco is incorporated. But in the world of sports, a couple things happen April 15th. In 1925, the NHL played its first game. It's pretty big news. In 1927, Babe Ruth hits the first of 60 home runs uh, that season. So that's, that's unbelievable. Uh, GE forms. I mean, these are like massive, massive things. San Francisco is incorporated. Uh, there, there's a bunch of stuff that happened. Um, let me see. Let me go through a little bit more of these. And, and then we'll be done. I was just, it's... Uh, 1955, the first franchise McDonald's opens in Des Plaines, Illinois. Ray Kroc. Heck yeah. The, Which is right down the street from my house. It's it's still there. And, uh, and now with, it's just like a museum, isn't it? Or is... It, it's... I, it's not even a museum. It's just kind of there, but they do light it up at night. It's uh, it's River and Rand Road, okay, right in Des Plaines. Yeah, so no, on twelve, then right? Yeah, it's on yeah, twelve. On twelve yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I drive past that every time, and I remember as a kid, my dad would go, "That's the first McDonald's." Like, why isn't it still? I actually open? remember when that was that that place was still open. It was in the eighties. Was still open. Yeah, I don't know yeah. about the if it was in the nineties or not, but it's. Uh, yeah, yeah, they could. Well, they, I mean, they closed it and they opened uh, new McDonald's next door. Is what they did. Uh, I, one of my friends, African American friend, was like, "McDonald's and KFC has killed more African Americans than drive-by shootings." You just bring up McDonald's or KFC to this, and you have no, I'll never eat it. That's, they're attacking black people. It's a there. It's attack on the poor to kill them. He talks. It's hilarious. So uh, it's really not funny. And he actually goes on and on and on about this, and I, I actually believe him. It's funny. Have you ever heard of a guy by the name of Pootie Tang? Badate. Oh, without what's one of Chris Rock's guys? But, but it's not Chris Rock's guy. It isn't. You know who did all the writing for Pootie Tang and created the character? Who? Louis C.K. Really? Yeah. He was. He was when. He was one of the, he was one of the head writers on the Chris Rock show back mm-hmm. on on HBO back in the nineties, and Louis C.K. actually wrote the Pootie Tang movie. Seriously, hey, they, it, was, it was his it was his creation. Uh, uh, folks, uh, Pootie Tang that movie is a, a movie to see because it's unlike any movie you will ever see the rest of your life. They the whole formula for how to make a Hollywood movie. They never, they didn't even know it existed. They decided to make a movie and had no formula whatsoever. And it is so unique, it's funny. And basically, it's about a guy by the name of Pootie Tang, who is an African American hero, and he's out to fight the man. And the man controls all the drug companies and fast food, and they are attacking the African American communities with ads directed specifically for them. And the food is not just supposed to get their money, but also to kill them. In the long run, and get him addicted to the man's drugs, which will protect him. It's it's so funny, and you know what? There's truth in it. I don't care what anybody says. There was truth in that movie. You can say, oh, it's oh, it's stereotypes. It's a bunch of you know. No, that there was a lot of truth in that movie. It, it's legitimately taking advantage of uneducated people and getting them addicted to your junk food is basically. Basically what McDonald's has done. It was, it, they, they were attacking McDonald's is basically what they were doing in every single fast food thing. That's freaking hilarious. Pootie Tang, Sadate, my brother. 
Well, yeah, I mean, that was okay. He was like, he was a riff on all the black exploitation yes. characters from the 1970s. Mm-hmm. And like the, the, the whole, his whole shtick was his like black scent was so thick, you couldn't understand a word he said, but everybody else knew what he was saying. Uh huh. Yes. So, my potato, how to be, you know, hey, 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 you, you just <laughs> talking gibberish and everybody. Yeah, they just, they'd know what he was saying. Oh, I, you know, I said whenever I was, uh, Whenever somebody was like, oh, I'm sorry, ah, uh, sadate. I'd said that for like three or four years. I'm not kidding you. People are like, was that French? <laughs> <laughs> My brother would just shake his head. He'd be like, what is wrong with you? That's good is, stuff. That, is that French? When that person said that, I did, I did have to laugh. So, Pootie Tang, one of those movies that pro- less than a million to make. It had to cost them less than a million. Yeah, Besides yeah, the salaries. I mean, yeah, it, I mean, it was, oh, well, I mean, salaries, nobody was in it except for Chris Rock. And, you know? Okay. Yeah, but less than a, definitely less than a million of production costs to make a movie. I have to look that up. I I doubt that. I doubt that. But I'm, I'm just hoping because I want to do a movie for fifty grand. That's what I'm hoping for, David. I'm, I'm fifty thousand dollars is all I need to to make a movie. Uh, that's what Kevin Smith did. Fifty thousand? Cler- yeah, Clerks cost fifty thousand to make. Uh, that was in nineteen ninety four, but. It'd actually be cheaper now because of the advent of digital. Yeah, that's. I was thinking that. I was actually thinking that, and uh, I that's. I just got to figure out what I have to do. If if it means prostitute myself, just as long as nobody finds out about it, I'll be all right. So I'm willing to do it. Just just contact me at eight 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 four six three sixty seven forty eight. I will be willing to prostitute myself for the money. So just don't tell anyone, please. Eight 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 four six three sixty seven forty eight. So. Uh, well, you can understand my my love of April fifteenth. All of a sudden, you know, you meet this girl, blah blah blah, and then you find out that April fifteenth ends up being like this dramatic, dramatic day uh, throughout the the history of um, of the world. It's it's pretty cool. So uh, now, the most recent thing to happen on April fifteenth that uh, uh, that I think like might like, grab people uh, is the fact that uh, oh no, this no, oh I'm on the wrong date. I'm on the wrong date. That would have been really bad. But nothing really dramatic has happened over the last couple of years. No big deal. Big deal. So uh throughout the course of the show, I touched on this year, man, asked a trivia question. Nobody answered any of the trivia besides you. Do you want to get, take any more cracks at the trivia? Who has won back-to-back MVPs at every single position? Well, you got to go you got to go the uh, the obvious ones. Uh Johnny Bench's catcher. Uh by the way, Johnny Bench won in 70 and 72, but never consecutively. Okay, so he's not the catcher. And he's a Yankee. The catcher is a Yankee. Yep. Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra. Okay. Yes. Um, third base has got to be Mike Schmidt. Mike Schmidt won in uh, eighty six, eighty seven. Okay. Um, they're all great players. All of them are phenomenal. Well, we already said we said first base. We got uh, you got Frank Thomas. Yeah. Uh, Pujols is another one. Yep. Um, the Iron Horse. He was the first uh, repeat. Oh, jeez. I, I, I know who you're talking about. 493 career homers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2,130 consecutive games. He was from Germany. He played for the Yankees. He replaced Wally Pipp in June of 25. It's, it's, not, it's not DiMaggio. No, it's not Dimaggio. It's, it's, it's. He was on the same team with Babe Ruth, and he would win the MVPs as Babe Ruth would hit 60 homers. When I tell it to you, you're gonna be so mad. I know I am. I know I am. It's Lou Gehrig. Lou Gehrig, yeah. 
And then yeah. there's yeah. another first baseman on there. Double uh, X is his nickname. And they're, he's from like 32, 33. So those are the old ones. Most of them, though, are like 60 and more yeah. recent. Most of them. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's, let's go around there. we got the first base, second base. Big Red Machine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hal Morgan? No. Joe Morgan. Joe Morgan. Joe Morgan. Know, sorry. Okay. Uh, shortstop's Ernie Banks. Ernie, Mr. Yeah. Cub, and Ernie won those in, in 57, 58. The Cubs were a second division team back then. There was eight teams in the National League, and they finished in, like, seventh place, and he was hitting 320 with 47 homers and 140 driven in. That's how bad the Cubs were back then. They had a, a shortstop doing that, and they still couldn't win games. So, All right, and then on the outfield, we already said Maris. Uh, Barry Bonds is out there because he's, he's done it multiple times, yes. didn't he? Yeah, he won back-to-back in the 90s and in the 2000s. He did it more than once. So Bonds is the left fielder. Mm-hmm. The center fielder was 82-83, and then also in uh, in the 50s in the National League. 82-83. For the National League. He used to be a catcher, and they moved him to center field for the Robin Braves. Yount? No. Robin Yount's the first one to wear, win it at two positions. Okay. He was a shortstop, then center fielder, so 82-89. But Dale Murphy. Dale Murphy, okay. Yeah, that's a Dale tough Murphy, one. Yeah. That's a tough one. A lot of people wouldn't get that one. So, And the pitcher. You'll never get the pitcher. I'm going to save the pitcher for next week. The pitcher is 1944-1945 for the Detroit Tigers. You'll never get it. This is the craziest one. It's Hal Neuheiser. That's the tough one. Yeah, who would ever get Hal Neuheiser? So, yeah, but he went back-to-back MVPs. I love that trivia question. So we got that's, a, that's a great trivia question. When, uh, that is. It's a great trivia question. Another trivia question that I'll ask is, who is the all-time leading home run for every single alphabet? Like, Hank Aaron is A. Barry Bonds is B. And it gets a lot tougher. Jamie Quirk is Q. It gets awfully, awfully difficult. Thanks to everybody for listening. Coach will be back tomorrow. This is Two Guys in the Mic. Thank you, David Olson, for making this go so smoothly. This is the Big Dog. See you tomorrow, everybody.